I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about crossover couples and the extremely depressing 19th century labor conditions that reality TV stars are apparently still forced to endure today in in 2023. That is what we are here for, to discuss the lowbrow gossip of new couples and the more serious news of sincere labor violations. And here to discuss all of this serious and not-so-serious news is stand-up comedian and power recapper Dave Neal. First time on the pod, Dave, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel like uh, the union representative here as we're going to discuss these labor violations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Emma and I love talking to union reps, so we're really excited about this. Yeah. But <laughs> we're going to ease into things with some small talk first. I think we're going to start by talking about some new Bachelor Nation couples because... They never stop making new couples. That's one thing you can count on. Yeah, it's like we look away. We think about love is blind for a few weeks. We turn our attention back and suddenly Tasha Adams is maybe dating Luke from Summer House, which is just frankly the crossover content that I crave as um, someone who does enjoy Summer House. Yeah, I I make a wild amount of Tasha videos to the point of being called obsessed. And I thought the Tasha hype was over and it was a throwaway video. And of course, it became my number one video of the week. So she's still Prince News. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Tasha was just not she was taking space for herself. She was being a little more private. And once we got some real meaty, like Tasha's maybe Tasha's dating someone famous news, everyone just like lost their minds. Yeah, I've been obsessed with her beca- because she is a hot, you know, hot topic. She's a, she's one of the biggest Bachelor alumni that kind of like disassociated from the show. But I'm still convinced that it was a labor negotiation gone wrong that made it so she didn't go to the live after show. They said she had COVID. I'm still convinced something happened and went down and we'll never know. But it was too shady that she kind of just disappeared from the show like that. I mean, I would not put it past them <laughs> to have screwed her over in a way that she was like, I'm done. <laughs> so honestly, I'd, I'd believe anything. Um, but this latest news is fun and lighthearted because Summer House star Lindsay Hubbard posted a photo of like a group hang and Tasha was there holding hands with Luke Goldbranson, a very cute Minnesotan former model for anyone who uh, has not has not watched Summer House as I have. I don't watch Summer House, so I was kind of just taking in what I could about this man with my eyes, and I was like, okay, he's got sort of a World War One soldier kind of look. He's got the the little mustache, the 
high top fade with the floppy gelled top. Like, it's very vintage. And I don't know what that look says to me. Like, it feels a little Richard Spencer, but I'm here to ask, like, is he good? Like, in the world of reality TV, like, do I support Luke Goldbranson? Yeah, he's, like, fairly unobjectionable, (laughs) I think. Not like a Tom Sandoval type. Oh my Certainly gosh. not. This because this Bravo <laughs> world, it's like uh, getting transported to a different universe of loyal exactly. audience. In the crossover, there is a crossover, but like I'm new to covering Vanderpump, and I didn't realize how good or juicy of a show that was. The whole network, Dave, is welcome, drama. Yeah, seriously, welcome. thank you. I am not like a, a crazy Bravo person. It's just too much content, and you know we have to talk about The Bachelor and like Netflix world professionally, but. Where I do really dedicate my time is specifically in like Vanderpump and Summer House world. I like the the younger shows, the non-housewives shows with a few exceptions. And so this has just been like great for me. This is the exact crossover that I can handle. And and you only get so many names you can remember. Like I I think I don't know my nephew's names anymore because I had to learn, you know, <laughs> the, the Tom Sandoval's and Schwartz's of it all. But it's like go, it's like transferring to a new school and you're like, wait. He hooked up with her. Yeah, but after she cheated on him with that, and you're like, what the hell was happening? Yes. This is all in law. This is a few <laughs> miles from my home, and this is all going down in LA. Wild. And whenever you, you start watching a new reality show, they all look exactly the same. Like, it's truly like starting a new genre of music or something where you're like, I know that if I knew this really well, they would all seem really distinctive, but they all look the same and their names are all very similar seeming. And it takes a long time to even be able to visually see that there are like 14 people instead of three. <laughs> and that's kind of the stage where I'm at with Summer House, where I'm like, I don't know. They all look like hot people on reality TV. Luke is the blonde one. And, the, yeah, and he he's has dating Tasha, which is very that's distinctive, really, which I appreciate. That's really all you need to know. They actually like launched this there i don't know if it was accidental or not but they did it in that sort of accidental way that actually makes it get much more attention it's like the barbara streisand effect where Mm. Lindsay hubbard posted this group photo it was like easter sunday they were all hanging out then she immediately deleted it reposted it with just taisha and luke cropped out and everyone was like oh my god they're trying to hide that they're dating obviously and then Lindsay went on watch what happens live andy cohen asked her about it And she just very strongly implied that they are dating and that they asked her to take the photo down to protect their relationship. Why did they pose for the photo in the first place? They were just like like the National Archives. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure everyone will just keep this on their phones as a personal memory. Like, y'all are professionals. Yeah, there's so many ways they could have avoided that. It it almost, and I'm not going to cue the X-Files music, but it almost makes you feel like they knew what they were doing when they took the photo and then deleted it. I don't know if that's too, if if I'm thinking too far ahead here, but they (laughs) held hands in the photo at brunch. Covering reality TV truly turns you into into a conspiracy theorist so quickly. You're like, maybe this was the PR strategy all along. They were like, we'll post it. We'll take it down. We'll crop it out. We'll hint at it. They're winning. It's not a conspiracy theory (laughs) if it's true. And these people know what they're doing. (laughs) 
But how great. It's kind of like Blake Horseman. I love it. When he started dating Giannina, it's like you're exposing yourself to a new fan base. You can only, you know, Tasha's capped out in the Bachelor world as far as audience goes. And now she's got this new other crowd who's going to follow her for details. You know, kind of smart. Oh, no, it's brilliant. I mean, it's it's actually like more important than old school showmances or like, you know, movie romances where, you know, PR agents and they would want you to date other people from the movie you're working on or other famous people. But this is such a direct like cross promo <laughs> because you're 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 famous. So siloed when you're on a reality TV show. But then you can just really instantly them, tap guys. into a whole new silo. It's brilliant. Yeah, I want it. I want this for them. I want the love. I want them to get all the crossover followers. <laughs> I support it. And not every show can lead to followers. I, I've looked at this deeply with what shows I cover. Like Survivor was a dud. People don't care what mm-hmm. happens outside the show. Vanderpump, these Bravo shows, the, they want to know the up-to-date Instagram happenings. I mean, you've got paparazzi outside of Sandoval's place. You've got Ariana is like in Rome this weekend. They 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 f- crave that. And that's what makes the, my channel do well because people can be in the comment section sharing these clues, like you mentioned, from all the detectives. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the story doesn't end off screen because it's just their relationships. Like if I follow someone on Survivor, are they going to be winning challenges by eating bugs in their day to day life? Like, no, that that story has ended. (laughs) But with with uh, Vanderpump Rules, it's just happening all the time. So you're like, I could get the scoop literally just by checking their Instagram and seeing someone seeing something they can't film it fast enough. I heard they're going to take a short off season because they, they want to capitalize on what what's going down and spilling onto the streets. I saw Jackie from love is blind is filming something in Seattle right now. So like there's, there's ongoing storylines and they're like, well, if it's going to play out on Instagram, we might as well roll the cameras. I mean, that's just smart. Yeah. yeah. Get it done. We're, we're entering the age of endless content. I've on camera all the time. I I already feel that way. Okay, <laughs> should should we move on? Because there are more. There are more relationships. More couples. These are a little more hard launch style. Um, Aaron Clancy from Katie Thurston season, and multiple would we say high impact Bachelor in Paradise appearances. That he, feels right. He hard launched his girlfriend, Alice Gray, who is a dream pop singer songwriter. Uh, with some recent Instagram posts. I will say I checked out her music and if this is a promo strategy, it's working because I I liked her music and I might be I might be a fan now. So great synergy here, uh, introducing Alice and presumably Aaron also to new audiences. Yeah, this um this relationship doesn't hit my threshold for like reporting uh, on my on my YouTube. <laughs> you know, you hit that moment you go, okay, the Tasha story for sure, but this is like, yeah, nice, uh, you know, it's not it's there's no leaked messages or there's just no uh, you know, the whole it bleeds it leads. There's really, you know, okay, I'm happy for him. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, there's so many storylines that come out of Bachelor in Paradise. It it's it like don't know if my, if Rachel Reckia hard launch with someone I'd have to push my wife out of the way to make the video, but yeah, we left we left Aaron on the back burner. On this one, we'll have to see what comes of it. That you know, yeah, that's I mean, fair. This would be like that's how turning... we generally like to to leave Aaron. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, it would be like turning a press release into a news article, right? Like they literally put <laughs> out an Instagram. And they were like, "We're dating," and that's kind of the information. That's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But I guess like good for them. Um, I 
had basically forgotten Aaron existed because Dave, like you said, you can only hold so much information in your brain at once. And I have to just sort of delete people from my memory, (laughs) but then they come back when Claire puts their Instagrams on this doc. And I'm just like, wow, good for you, Aaron. Your girlfriend seems cooler than you. I can't believe you already (laughs) forgot about Aaron after the the trauma that was this season of Bachelor in Paradise. I, I know. I, I like black into- out. <laughs> you know, it's like two, it's like we reach a peak and then I'm like, I have to clear the cash. Like you're no longer relevant. Well, this is why I don't, I don't have room for Vanderpump rules. Like I simply can't get into <laughs> it because I'm like, I'm just busy retaining, keeping on my mental hard drive, Aaron Clancy and James Bonsall. Well, Claire, the, you're just missing out. I'm sure Dave can, can attest. It's an incredible show and one day I will get you. Yeah. I will get you Take on board. The dive. This is my mission. I was on my honeymoon in Indonesia when the scandal broke, and I was hearing it from the <laughs> resort, uh, in the Bal- Balinese. Uh, res- Stop. It was like, and I was like, do I make a video now or do I, ke- I keep my marriage happy? You know, like it was a tough decision. That's a, but if, if I, I didn't know anything about it, I just heard these words. And then once you, once you're like, uh, you know, one good YouTube video from someone who covers it, you go, oh, okay, that's what it is. Well, you know what they say marriages come and go, but content is forever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and marriages are expensive, so you got to pay the bill somehow. <laughs> exactly. Do you want to be on this honeymoon together? Do you want me to be able to afford it? Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking of saving it for maternity leave. I think that's when I'm going to really... I hear you have a lot of time, and I'm just going <laughs> to lay back and Honestly, you have so many seasons. I think this is a good <laughs> idea, although I am still still pushing for you to let me just at least explain Scandival to you with visuals beforehand. <laughs> well, you know what they're doing right that Bachelor doesn't have is it's got the friend group of a Jersey Shore. So there, you do feel like the the normal friend who's watching your other friends be sloppy. So I think that's why it makes you feel better watching it because they're it's just like decrepit humans. <laughs> <laughs> that is something that I crave in my reality TV. Uh, let's talk about another person that I I really did kind of forget existed until I saw this pop up on a Bachelor gossip account. Shanae Ankney of Clayton Eckerd season also launched her new relationship on Instagram this month. She posted some photos with the caption, always laughing when I'm with you. And she's with a tall, dark-haired man kind of holding hands and being goofy And he's not tagged, and so we don't know who he is. I'm not really loving this whole trend of people hard-launching their relationships, and then they don't tag them. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this information? Yeah, you're like, um, either make it private or public. But halfway (laughs) is unsatisfying to me. And that's who you should be hearing to. Me personally. (laughs) I need to be able to do a deep dive and of stalking, but... Shanae does look very happy in these photos, and we love happiness. It would be hilarious if she posted photos to launch a relationship in which she did not look happy. Look, Shanae, to me, I, I'm the biggest Shanae apologist out there. I have been a huge fan of her from the beginning, and not necessarily be, not because she said problematic things, but because rather than all these contestants biting their tongue, she says how she feels in a situation where your your limbic system is just fried. We talked about this on my podcast, Bachelor Rush Hour, where like if you don't get sleep one night, you start saying things and and and, and you sound apologetic discussing it. But everybody who has a gripe with Shanae has never been on reality TV and knows whatever they go through in those moments. So I'm a fan of her. When it came down to it on Bachelor in Paradise, she became friends with everybody. She was relatively unproblematic in the normal social 
social or a more normal social setting. So I'm happy for her. It was like a slight redemption arc, I think. It was like yeah. still some there was still some weird stuff with some <laughs> of her relationships and how they went down, but but nothing like The Bachelor. It was it was she ended on a higher note than she began, and now she has a boyfriend. There's some speculation in the comments that it's her ex, Nate Ebner, who is an NFL player, but they don't look the same to me. So mm. I'm gonna say she just likes tall, dark-haired men, and that's <laughs> probably the connection. <laughs> yeah, she stayed out yeah. of the, the Bachelor influencer world. Like, you don't see her out, yeah. out, um, out kind of doing all the Bachelor Yeah, branches. I support her dating outside of, I think for her mental health, dating outside of reality TV is probably wise. Um, yeah, I'm looking at photos of Nate Ebner and this man, and their hair looks different. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sort of face blind with men. So I'm like, you know, they're both white men with dark hair. So I guess it's (laughs) anything's possible. True. Uh, (laughs) Teddy Wright from Clayton season as well is engaged. Speaking of of private public launches, her boyfriend, Nicholas, we've never learned his last name. He's like Madonna. It's just Teddy Wright's boyfriend, Nicholas, proposed (laughs) to her. Just three months after she posted publicly about their relationship, of course, that wasn't when they started dating. But just a few months after we learned that he existed, they got engaged. We still don't know that last name, but she did post some other tidbits in her stories. They love Jesus. Sometimes they FaceTime to pray together before bed. I, I, I feel like when you see this timeline of an engagement and they've been on The Bachelor, they usually love Jesus. It, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to not uh, burn my bridge with all the evangelicals today, but I will say this. I, <laughs> Too late, you're I'm here. Certainly, I, I burned the yeah. bridge. Sorry, you're me. on this podcast. Yeah, I, they, they think I'm some crazy man here when I'm like, look, I don't, you know, yeah, religion can push people into marriage, especially if you're waiting to marriage, which we don't know if she was or she said she wasn't, but who knows. But my, my interest with Teddy is that she ended Bachelor in Paradise pretty much storming off because she wouldn't do whatever preconceived, they wanted her to date Andrew Spencer, I believe. And she was like that, I'm not into him. So she storms off. So this, even though it's probably been close to a year since then, it still feels a little bit like I'll show you happiness kind of vibes to me. <laughs> but, you know, she's young. I, I don't trust any marriage that's before the age of 26. Uh, you know, it's like it's it's not going to work out until it does. That's I, that's kind of like the cynical mindset I have. Yeah. I mean, time will tell. It's uh, it's fast for 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 what I think any of us would do, probably in terms of a timeline. I don't think anyone here has been engaged after less than a year of dating. But, um, you know, some of these young, these young Christian girlies from The Bachelor have just been, I mean, what was Maddie Pruitt's entire relationship? Arc? Yeah, like, no, eight a, months a similar timeline. And they also love Jesus. And you know what? They're so I'm still just, married I'm just connecting several the dots. months later. So, They've you really know. made it. Yeah, her slogan was worth the wait. I'm like, I waited nine years on my relationship. <laughs> worth the wait. It was three months. You know oh, yeah. I mean? we, we two were were tickled yeah. by that. Well, like, like, man. Change your bed sheets once between you when you met to when you got married. It's like, calm down. <laughs> How often are you changing your bed sheets? <laughs> Boy, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> You're like not enough. When I was single, um, it was it was any man's game. <laughs> <laughs> but no, obviously we are happy for Teddy. 
I've always really enjoyed her and she has always seemed very sweet. And And speaking of people who are better off dating outside of The Bachelor limelight, I think both her time on The Bachelor and her time on Paradise showed that she was really not comfortable with all the shit that you go through to date in that setting. Pretty, pretty glad she found someone who is outside of that world. Yeah, it's hard not to be happy for her. Yeah. Healthier. And uh, we wish them the best. This isn't a real new relationship, but wouldn't we like to think that it could be Gabby, Wendy, and Clayton Ecker just having a little fun with the fans by flirting on Instagram? I love this kind of trolling. (laughs) It's perfect. I feel like they all decided they were cool with each other. And then they were like, now we get to pretend that we're dating every now and then and freak (laughs) people out. So Gabby posted just some sexy pics of her in a black dress with the caption, Clayton, like, censored out (laughs) with an asterisk instead of an A, was supposed to propose to me in this dress. And he responded, bring the dress to Scottsdale this weekend. And then Rachel posted, I dash. Yeah. And then just ha, 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 in all caps. Selma Blair also (laughs) responded and said... We can double date. That'll heat things up. I emoji. Yeah, they really had the da- Dancing with the Stars crossover there. Look, Clayton, I man, he's done the work. He, he's really, he really came out of that season. You know, all he wanted to do is be a likable guy. It got him into hot water. He had no idea what he was getting himself into. And he's like, now he's, he just wants to be friends with everybody. And yeah. it's nice that they're kind it's- of like playing with him here. It's actually very heartwarming. It makes me happy. I always feel like it's a good sign when people can make jokes about things that once felt very charged and traumatic. And that is just, that's the kind of healing that we want to see for for all of these people. To tease this, um, because I'm not releasing, I didn't even tell my audience I filmed this, but on Saturday I recorded with Susie Evans. And I asked if she's got any friendship with Rachel and Gabby because we know Katie Bigger uh, from Zach's season says she's going to maintain friendships with Gabby from her season. And she said, not really. She's like, I've tried to be supportive of them, but it's tough. Susie kind of quote unquote won. And they don't, she doesn't have the same common denominator as Rachel and Gabby, which was that they yeah. could, like, hate Clayton and then bond over that. So it's kind of like, you know, the, the those situations put you in places where friendship isn't guaranteed after the show's over. Yeah. And those situations were similar, but they were actually also quite different. Like I, there was this lingering thing where Gabby and Rachel both felt really fucked over after the fact. And Susie was meanwhile, like reconciling with Clayton and in this sort of exploratory phase with him going through a really different experience. And then right as Clayton was sort of making up with Gabby and Rachel, he and Susie were breaking up and they were trying to get some distance from each other like they've had this this very sort of been different experiences each with other him throughout. On, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's Ugh. it seems like a, a tough situation either way to navigate, but it is I don't know, just seeing them go through this kind of this kind of painful end to the season where it seems like a lot of the cause and the driver was just the show. <laughs> and it's nice to see people be able to reconnect as people afterwards and say like yeah, like you could have made better choices so that I wouldn't have suffered so much. But when it comes down to it, like outside of the crushing like hell mod that is 
the Bachelor filming process. Maybe you're not such a bad person. We can get along. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think it would be so cathartic for them if they did what Bravo does, which is have a live after show every episode where they get to discuss (laughs) what they were thinking in the moment. I mean, I can't believe Bravo. I keep mentioning it because Bravo is some cable news channel, whatever, but they are out reality TVing The Bachelor here. They should have a live after show every week. They can air it online. They don't need to take up a time slot. And it's a chance to just keep audiences engaged. And they they force podcasts to kind of fill in the blanks here. But with Clayton, you know, coming off of that rough season, I would love to see him on Paradise. Just have a couple beers, try to be a gentleman. And, you know, maybe he meets someone that's more his speed. I feel like Clayton just needs to continue having his space. I don't know. When we interviewed him, I was like, this is a person who just maybe needs to take a beat from reality TV. And he seemed to feel that way too. (laughs) But on that note, we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we have a lot more to discuss about the Bachelor franchise and also some news about Love is Blind. Can you keep up? I like And we're back. So this is some uh, more serious news from the Bachelor sphere. Uh, Recently, Michelle Young went on the Two Black Girls, One Rose podcast and talked pretty openly about her perspective on the show's history of failures with race and how that has, especially over the last few years, really affected her and She talked about how she really struggled with seeing Black men passed over for white men in the casting of leads after her season. She said, you know, well, someone like Rodney, maybe he wouldn't have had a good experience. Maybe they wouldn't have known how to produce him. But at the same time, like, he should have had the choice. He wasn't being given the opportunity to to take that chance or to not take it. And that's a problem. But she said that she really reached a breaking point with the franchise after the two blackface scandals with Eric Schwer and then Greer Blitzer. And after the Eric situation was not addressed in the finale, um, she was really upset and frustrated. And after it happened again with Greer, she said, she was like in discussions with them throughout about how it had to be handled differently this time, that this had been like, this was a a gimme that they had another chance to, which they should never have had, (laughs) but uh, that they knew that they knew how they had messed up last time and to do it right this time. And she's like, this is, this is not negotiable. You can't keep hurting a community of people in different cultures like this. Otherwise I'm out. It's exhausting. How are you guys going to take accountability? How are you going to move forward? And do you understand that moving forward means repairing? So her position was like, you have to deal with this publicly on the finale and thoroughly, or I'm going to step away from the franchise. And that is obviously why we got such an in-depth sit down um, with Greer on the, I believe the women tell all episode. Um, And yeah, Michelle drew a line and like finally I guess that caused the franchise to to move on it. I mean at this point they have alienated multiple black leads of the franchise. I mean like all Just of look them. At Rachel Lynn. Like all of them essentially. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Rachel, Tasha. I mean, it's a bad 
bad track record, obviously, as we've talked about extensively, the show has a long history of centering whiteness, of casting people with histories of racist behavior. Um, and yeah, this, you know, Michelle, I feel so grateful to her and also so angry that this shit is still being put on the couple really visible people of color who who are still associated with with the franchise. Yeah, and when you look when you break it down it's actually more toxic than like people might think because what the show did in it's a corporation corporations are psychopathic in the sense they don't feel emotions it's they're all working for themselves keep their jobs not to not to let them off but just to show they they played both sides of the coin. They didn't address it um, when Michelle Young was in the audience for the Eric Shore uh, because that audience is older because it's their network TV audience. It skews older and can skew conservative mm-hmm. and they might not understand the progressive sort of reason for discussing this. And then they let Michelle to discuss it on the podcasts, which are Bachelor run, but they're also going to skew more liberal or progressive because it's a podcast. So they, they just, they played both sides. When it comes to the Greer situation, we have to remember Greer defended Defended somebody who did blackface. Greer didn't wear blackface, which doesn't excuse it, but it is a different crime than 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 what Eric did. And it's worth discussing it. I'm not, and I'm not saying it 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 shouldn't be done, but it definitely was performative. And I think things become performative when the cans kicked so far down the road. They what did they didn't address it? In the, it wouldn't have been performative if they just continued to address this when it popped up. Yeah, I mean, it definitely they. It's like what happened with Greer, I think, was in part just a reaction to all of the harm that the franchise caused with their inaction around the Eric situation. Because it was truly shameful. And I think, you know, a lot of alums and also I think a lot of commentators were very clear about how shameful their complete ignoring of of Eric's actions was. And so, yeah, it was definitely notable to see the way that it was dealt that Greer was dealt with um and it was obviously so so different and it makes sense now seeing that Michelle had gone directly to them to and said I'm drawing a line in the sand like I walk if real change isn't made and so how do they at least start to show her that that is happening well they have this situation in front of them um Yeah. And I think that, like, it's been obvious that the show has been receiving pressure from its Black stars because they keep leaving and or publicly speaking out about the show. Right. And, you know, Matt James has criticized in very strong terms how the show handled his season and race on his season. Taysha left clickbait and Bachelor Happy Hour last year. Natasha, Natasha Parker left clickbait earlier this year. Rachel Lindsay, of course, criticized the show in very strong terms when she left. And so then you you see these these attempts that the show makes to kind of placate their their black stars who are sort of like a shield for them. They're like, oh, we are diversifying. We are doing more. But what they're actually doing is they're asking these people to take on a huge amount of work to like internally hold the show accountable as much as they can and also to like deal with the effects of being in this very racist environment and like dealing with the the racism of the audience and so it's like not surprising at all that that Michelle turned out to be most likely like the biggest 
impetus for for this right. for for the 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 full the full reckoning that they have. I don't want to like overstate <laughs> that they've had a reckoning, but the fact that instead of just having Greer say like, "Oh, I I defended blackface and I shouldn't have and I feel so bad," that they that they went through the whole like, "Oh, we've hired a DEI consultant and like right. she's going to be involved in shepherding us and like we're all going to keep learning." And these performative but intended to show a deeper commitment to ongoing change gestures like hiring a consultant. Um, it seems clear that they've reached a point where whatever they're saying to people like Michelle behind the scenes, it just isn't enough. Yeah, they're really bad at their crisis PR. Uh, we saw it from the Rachel Kirkconnell incident where Rachel has come out and said, they told me, they they really advised me not to apologize, not to speak up. And like Rachel seems to be a sweetheart. She seems to be the person who would come out right away and in in and say and, and, and give a real heartfelt apology, which she ended up doing. The show kicks it down the road because psychopathic, they want to get the ad revenue from that moment on the hot seat. And we just live in a time where you got to put these wildfires out day of, or I mean, give it a day, think about it, whatever, but really meet with Greer, put together a sensible conversation in the moment so we don't have to wonder while we watch it all play out what her viewpoints are. Just, just get it out. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they and, always want to wait. They always want to wait. And also the fact that these like couple publicly addressed, you know, instances of external racism are what end up getting all of the attention from the show when clearly there is a systemic issue within the show's very production, conception, um, kind of the 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 fundamental culture of the show has a racism problem. And so I also think that while it is obviously important to have people who are cast on the show who have engaged in racist behavior be, have, have their feet held to the fire, it also kind of allows the show to be like, oh, we just have these couple bad apples. Mm. Oh, let's kind of put it on these people to like address our systemic racism. And so I I will say that I was glad to see in this LA Times report that was published on April 4th. Um, and of course, the proof is always in the pudding. So no gold stars, certainly, to, uh, to The Bachelor for this yet. But the LA Times reported that sources close to the franchise said that, you know, more steps are being taken to kind of correct for this racist atmosphere um, ahead of charity season. They not only have they allegedly engaged the the services of a DEI expert, um, but also an outside agency led by a woman of color has been brought in to lead the process of casting for charity season. Obviously, that already happened. And then another woman of color was promoted to a lead producer role to work directly with Charity throughout her season. And so I really hope that Charity is having a better go of it and feeling more seen and respected and her actual history and preferences and culture um, accounted for during and, and this season. And I am interested to see how everything plays out when we actually get to see that season airing back. And I think that will be the real test is like how she kind of and her contestants come out of 
this entire experience. Yeah, when you when you look at that article, this is why when Chris Harrison was fired, uh, you know, I was just I'm indifferent. But to think that that would, was a was a cure for the problem, it's like it's like if it's like if you don't like a, the presidential policy and you fire the press secretary, it's like you know <laughs> what I mean. This issue was obviously bigger than him. And I used to work in advertising, and it's the same sort of deal. People when you're when you're behind the scenes in advertising, people are sharing statistics about their demographics and who we're targeting, and you can really see that how the sausage is made. They're like, well, we have a white audience. We have a Southern white audience. That's our core. They don't care about X, Y, or Z. And it's like, well, just because that might have been the stats from the past doesn't mean it needs to be the stats moving forward. And the show has this weird railroad style piggyback where the lead chooses a white person, the runner ups white. So then all of the diversity just became token diversity. And what you really needed to do, which I think Rachel Lindsay discussed was find find contestants that are up for dating diverse people. They just found a bunch of right. people that still had this sort of Eurocentric look, which it you can have more contestants and you can make that diversity come out. Maybe the Bachelor in Paradise does a better job because it's not all the stakes on that one relationship, but it we'll have to see how the season plays out. Yeah, I think it's... <laughs> It's interesting because that's true, right? It is like they cast white people who want to date other white people, and that continues. But then, of course, after Michelle's season, we had like three runner-ups who are black men who are fan favorites, and they still pass them over. And so you start to think, well, how much has the show been using that as an excuse, as a cover? As a cover? And then they bring in Matt James, who had never had the experience of being on TV before. And so he was, I think, more vulnerable to producers and not able to advocate for himself as well. And so you see them making these choices and you're like, why aren't they setting Black men up to succeed a little bit more? It seems clear from the outside that there are choices they could be making to interrupt that cycle. And they're they're choosing the opposite instead. And Matt James is amazing, an amazing human. Yeah. So charismatic. We didn't see any of that. He's oh like one God. of many no, recent his... Bachelor leads where you're like, oh, after the season is coming to an end, now I'm starting to realize how cool this person is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I hope I hope we see a difference with charity season. Yeah. And, you know, um, there are obviously a lot of men of color who are dating charity. And so I will be interested to see how their storylines play out and who we kind of get for the next Bachelor. I think it's also telling that Michelle's season seemed successful in a lot of ways. And Michelle talks also with Natasha and Justine on Two Black Girls, One Rose about how much she advocated for herself to make it the season that she wanted it to be. And so you can look at that season as it's unfolding and afterwards and say like, oh, this was successful. Like she seemed to have a good experience. She fell in love. Like there were all these amazing black men who came out of this season and became part of the franchise. But what was actually happening was that Michelle was becoming like an unpaid DEI consultant for the show. Right. And so that's a, another pattern that they really need to break. And hopefully that they have started <laughs> to work toward breaking by actually hiring people specifically for that work who are experts and not just hiring a black lead and then being like, now your second job is making sure that we're not racist all the time. And it's a conversation we sh we should all, and I feel, I feel this way, that we, we you can be curious about it. And I think so many people in the Bachelor world are afraid to have certain talks that it has the reverse effect. Yeah, I think it's, it is really important that we're all talking about it and that it's not siloed. And, and I also think that like, we, we always want to use our podcast to say, for example, go listen to Michelle's interview with Justine and Natasha because it's a great interview and um, 
and they have a really nuanced conversation about about this and that's that's ultimately where we should be taking most of our cues but it's important that we're yeah. all talking about it as you say in our own in our own spaces because it's it's everyone's problem and it's everyone's responsibility and and with charity I was talking about this earlier on my channel. What's going to be interesting is she's a therapist. Are they going to go for the healthy relationships? Like, where's the drama going to come from as the show tries to make the drama not not toxic? It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say how's drama not going to be toxic. But the men are going to bring drama as they fight for. But how will she sort of... Uh, I don't know, put those fires out versus like a Claire who sort of Claire's anxiety kind of fed into a lot of the the um, sort of, uh, you know, fight or flight mode of the show. So it'll be interesting to see how how it all plays out with charity season. I think I mean, I personally think we can all just use a good love story. <laughs> but, um, you know, always we have, yeah. it's, it's all we've been begging for. Yeah, the, it's all we want. You actually need an incredibly calm and well therapized person to <laughs> To just last for the whole season without totally breaking down. That's how stressful being off the lead of The Bachelorette is. <laughs> exactly. It is It is inhumane. Yeah. Um, on that note, let's take a quick break. Contemplate the the inhumanity of, of ever being <laughs> a lead on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And when we get back, we will discuss Chris Harrison and Mike Fleiss drama. Can you keep up? I like And we're back. So <laughs> Chris Harrison's podcast continues to be a source of just occasional beefs that he decides to start with other people in, in Bachelor world. And after Mike Fleiss left the franchise following a like bombshell report that, shocker, he, he fostered a very racist and emotionally bullying environment uh, as the creator and executive producer of The Bachelor. Um, so Chris Harrison decided it was time to talk a little shit. I We, t- we touched on this before, but I think the Rachel Kirkconnell drama was actually so telling of the way this the whole show is layers upon layers of garbage that like it starts with Rachel who's just a contestant and then Chris Harrison tries to defend her and then it's like wait the host is sort of maybe seems racist too and then you're like but wait isn't isn't the whole show racist and also the creator (laughs) and you just keep like it keeps agitating the pool and you keep seeing that deeper and deeper down there's more and more racism and that's not what Chris Harrison had to talk about with Mike Fleiss, but he was ready to throw his old bestie a little shade. So he was in conversation with Real Housewives of Orange County star Megan King. They were discussing narcissism, and Harrison said that the creator of The Bachelor was severely narcissistic and basically implied that he would never change or even recognize that about himself. Incredible how people (laughs) can observe things about others that, I mean, perhaps they might never see about themselves. But he said, you know, he wouldn't name any contestants as narcissistic. He was like, contestants aren't narcissistic. You have to be so open and ready to express yourself to be on the show. Narcissists really wouldn't work very well. 
You know, he's got a point. Um, it's the same way when I do crowd work as a comedian, you don't want to talk to the person who wants to talk. You know what I mean? You, like, you don't want to talk to the narcissistic person. You want to talk to the person who's like kind of shy and slowly giving you something. And it's and it's like, yeah, there, there is a bias to what what you pick on the show because you, you like a like a I'm trying to think of a narcissistic per, uh, person from the show ever. No, everyone that's on the show came from a data pool where they wanted to be on a reality TV show. And that's partly where the show I think gets lame contestants is that they let the contestants come to them versus them looking for, like they search for people that have good social media followings that are already putting themselves out there. So you're going to get people that want that are, that are searching for something, you know, in the reality TV world, you're going to get that. But as, yeah, as far as like discussing narcissism, it's like, you know, Chris Harrison kind of proves the point there that if you're going to like call other people out for narcissism, you got to be a little careful because, you know, you're, he's the host of a show, the, the lights and cameras and makeup team are all surrounding him. Oh, but he's like, we're not, we're just open to showing ourselves on camera. That's not narcissism. That's, that's just openness and vulnerability. I mean, I do think it's funny to imagine, I, I mean, to, to think of Chris Harrison and a reality star sitting there earnestly trying to diagnose other people with narcissism. <laughs> which even if you're a therapist, you're not really supposed to do in public. <laughs> They're like, I know a narcissist. Let's talk about this clinical diagnosis that I have. Uh, but what's interesting to me is that Chris and Mike Fleiss used to be like besties or so they said, like they used to describe themselves as quite right. Or was it, was it just useful right. to, to say that publicly? Like that would not, it does not surprise me to learn that there was some friction. Yeah, I mean, you have to like your boss. Everyone's gone golfing or done something with their boss when they're out on some company <laughs> trip. And like, you laugh at their jokes. It's self-serving. It's the same psychopathic thing. Like, you're just trying to keep your job. <laughs> but that, that there's collateral damage that comes from that, which means Chris Harrison was associated with the show that was going in that direction and he defended it. So I don't know what position anyone else would be there. Like it's so when you see people that actually do take a stand like Michelle, um, and when you do see people that actually speak up when the company's paying them, that's always impressive to me. Those are the strong ones. I don't necessarily say, I would mm -hmm. say Chris Harrison's the weak one. It's just self preserving. Like, you know, like I'm going to keep my cushy job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Chris Harrison was very happy to always explain why it would be a bad financial decision to make a black person the lead of The Bachelor, like when he was when he was their their public face, and he and Mike Fleiss's interests were aligned. Um, exactly, and he said the same thing about uh, overweight contestants. No one wants to see that. I mean, he's he, yeah. you can see right. these receipts, yeah, and you go if that I, made I just... it public, then what was said. Before that was, if that's a polished up version, what was well, exactly? Yeah. yeah, that's why I'm always like people in glass houses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was surprising to me. Well, it wasn't surprising, but disappointing that it was just Harrison who was cut loose after the big, the big Matt James season meltdown uh, that exposed so many of the issues that the show has with race and Fleiss, who was, I think, clearly much more responsible for the show's culture and um, production choices and casting choices. He has been protected throughout a number of scandals on the show and, and has never um, has never been thrown to the wolves until just last month. And also, it seems like their relationship might have actually gone bad even 
earlier because another thing that Chris Harrison revealed on the podcast, a different po- a different episode with Sean and Catherine Lowe, is that he was removed as host of After Paradise, the post-Bachelor in Paradise live show, because he had started hosting Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And the franchise did not like this. They didn't want him doing another hosting gig. And he said, you know, to kind of send a message to me right after that, in the middle of that, we had knockdown, drag out, blow up fights and negotiations about this. They call me, they're like, hey, you know, we just feel like it's kind of too inside baseball for you to host these after shows. So we're going to bring Sean in. Sean co-hosted the second season of the after show um, with Michelle Collins. And he says that this was a shot across the bow of like, hey, pal, you can be replaced at any time. We want to put you in your place. Sean said in response that he was told that Harrison not being the host this se- that season was due to scheduling conflicts. And Harrison said what they told you was an absolute lie. I mean, it makes sense because why would he be filming uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire at like 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night? Yeah, that doesn't really make doesn't sense. doesn't seem likely to me. <laughs> Yeah, and those shows they batch film them. It's such a good deal for the host. They make a ton of money. It's such it's such cake. Um, you, what you just see, it's like a this is a good old fashioned entertainment dick measuring contest. That's all <laughs> yes. it was. They're just playing, you know. And Chris Harrison realized when Tasha and Caitlin were brought in, he realized uh, one week into it, I need to negotiate a settlement because I, he is replaceable. Uh, they might lose a few files. Fo- if you know, you're like, yeah, sure. Some people left the show, but some people will come into the show, and there's always that trade-off. And that's what the show never realized when they look at the demographics: is the trade-off. Uh, sure, they could play to a hard white audience, but they could also diversify and introduce new audiences. And you know, that's right. like get with the times. I don't think they they've realized that they don't have any other options. I think they've kind of like they were the last to the party. But at the same time, I don't I don't blame them as a production company for not changing their cash cow. They just have to deal with the collateral damage that they're that this is how they're going to come off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think they've been doing an interesting um strategy of sort of lurching back and forth between trying to cater to the two different sides of the audience as their numbers soften and as like li- network TV numbers in general are softening you know they'll make a decision like getting rid of Chris Harrison one season but then they'll be like oh Tasha and Caitlin that's too far let's go to Jesse Palmer you know they're kind of tacking back and forth a little bit and I don't know if that maybe would be better off just like committing to a path you know and trying to grow that more diverse younger audience rather than it just seems like panicking <laughs> It just seems like everything is panic. Like yeah. all of their decisions thus far have been led by panic rather than actual like commitment or actual clear strategy. Yeah, you just realize that that they're not that that people that run companies are not necessarily smart. Bud Light, right. Bud right. Light took a hard stance, and then they apologized two days later. You know what I mean? You can't play oh, both sides. Have disgusting. a moral compass and run in that direction, and and have a conviction, but. These companies are just trying to maximize their profit. How can we maximize revenue? And but like you said, yeah, right. commit to a commit to a direction and go in it. 
Yeah, you could become the official beer of the left, and instead you're going to throw away all that new goodwill in order to appease some stupid people who are, like, blowing up cans of Bud Light as a protest. Like, come on. It's the <laughs> same really story. Like Bud Light's <laughs> the same story as Bachelor, as other companies. Uh, they're, 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 and it's, again, it's, it's, it's not even political. It's cultural. You're going to have a company have a, have a, a pride flag in the U.S., but not in the Middle East because that they can't, you know what I mean? And it doesn't make it right at all. You just realize, like, there is no moral compass here. They're just doing whatever they can do. And it relies on audience to speak up and boycott and do the types of things to get that change or just not going to happen. Yeah. And that's why it puts people like, you know, the Michelle's and the Tasha's and the Matt James's of the world in a very vulnerable position because it's really just an attempt to like ask cover by the corporation to, right. to embrace these values in some sort of public facing way when there isn't a real commitment and when they're perfectly happy to turn the other direction when it seems like it might be impacting their profits just a little bit too much. Uh, in the short term, and it, it creates a really unstable uh, situation for for the people who are who are brought in as part of that, you know, that tack to a more open-minded, uh, progressive mindset. So let's not talk about Chris Harrison anymore because <laughs> I don't feel like it. One can only handle so much. (laughs) I don't like to think about him. Um, And his contract negotiations in 2016. Like, I don't know. I've thought about them too much already. Exactly. I'd rather think about some more current drama, which is the love is blind drama. Oh my goodness. So much news continues to flood out in the wake of season four of love is blind. Some of it, you know, inside stuff about things we didn't see during season four filming, and then some really serious allegations of labor violations, as we alluded to earlier. Let's start by discussing the three engagements um, from Love is Blind 4 that were not aired. This tends to happen every season. I think usually there's been like two engagements that they don't choose to follow. They like to kind of encourage as many people to get engaged as possible and then choose the people that they actually want to follow and film and base the season around. Which is wild when you think about it. It's like 15 people. If eight guys propose, that's more than half of the group. They do a good job. Engaged. And the, yeah. I, but the, the idea that a lot of people have that Love is Blind is more successful, I, I just, it's all bullshit. 15 men and 15 women all mixing together is hundreds of options. Yeah. So you you have more options than, you know, you might just not I be. I will shout out Susanna over at Bachelor Data and Pop Culture Data. She actually did the number crunching on both. And yeah, she was basically like, Success really depends on how you slice it, but she breaks down all of the different combinations and exactly what those stats are. Um, so she is doing the, the the Lord's work over there. 
Yeah, and when it comes to the the relationships that we weren't shown, they probably had healthy breakups. They probably just re- like there was probably just this realization it wasn't going to work out. And well, some and in some the, had and, healthy breakups. Yeah, but and then but they're not going to be rewarded because some of those relationships they weren't shown at all. Like one guy was like, "Yeah, I was playing pool in the background the whole time," and he goes on the show and gets really nothing to show for it because they do sell them on the fact you are going to get a following. This is late stage capitalism. You need to build equity in your brand. That's 100% part of it. It's not, are you here for the right reasons or the wrong reason? It's a separate reason. And that is having some wealth come to you after the show. I genuinely feel so bad for people who are put through the what sounds like a completely traumatic experience of being in the pods and then are shown for like, 30 seconds maybe over yeah. the course of two episodes on on Netflix. But let's go through these three engagements. Um, two of these engagements were like widely reported, including by Netflix's kind of like internal publica- publication, Tadam. Um, first, we had Jimmy Ford, 29-year-old technical product manager, and Wendy Kong, who is a 28-year-old aerospace engineer. It's pretty cool. They seem to have a very friendly, amicable end to their relationship. They said that they dated for like three months after they got out of the pods and then just had different visions for what they wanted, realized they weren't that compatible, and then split up. But they remain really friendly. They write nice things about each other on Instagram. And they both seem very in the mix of the Love is Blind pod squad. Jimmy is now neighbors with Kwame. And Wendy is close with Paul. Yeah, they dated. Yes. They dated. Yeah, they dated after the show. Not extensively, but yeah. Um, I think Um, Micah referenced this in her, uh, obliquely in her interview on the Vile Files, that he dated someone else from the pods after they broke up. Another just like absolute (laughs) miss. From the Lachey's. Like, really? You didn't bring this up? We brought up up the the ass swat video, but not this. Like, extensively, but not this actual news. (laughs) I have so many questions. Um, Then we have Ava Van, who is 32, and a communications specialist, and J.P. Schultz, who is 30, and a plant operations director. They got engaged after J.P. apparently was the... Second love triangle that Micah and Chelsea were in. JP was very far along with Micah and Chelsea and then chose to propose to Ava. Like, what? How- I didn't see any of this. My <laughs> understanding was that he had been connecting with Jackie because Jackie references him. But that early. was really early. But like, that was early, that I guess. Make it far at all. Just incredible, all the things that we don't see. But also, JP and Ava seem to have a really bad ending and they have just been like throwing jabs back and forth all over social media. Yeah. yeah. They're like forcing us to do a puzzle without showing us the puzzle image. <laughs> We're just yes. like, And th- this is the issue with Love is Blind is there are too many storylines for the camera crews to cover. So then they'll reshoot these scenes. So everyone's wondering like, how come Jackie b- did this before that? And it's like, well, they had to schedule these things. The camera crews aren't following every couple. You would need several dozen camera crews. So you just, it, 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 it doesn't have that same bachelor um vibe where everything's caught on camera it's not in a bubble and yeah, because of that more we don't like, get some of these stories 
feels more like the Hills ask where they're like, well, we need the scene where you guys break up. So when can we do that? Is it going to be tonight or tomorrow at 2.30? And (laughs) so we don't even have that with with Ava and JP because they didn't get followed uh, by the show. And so instead we're now litigating like these oblique barbs that they're throwing on Instagram. Ava told Tadam that when she saw JP at the airport after they got engaged, quote, he was a completely different person. As we were boarding the plane, I felt my phone vibrate and it pinged a bit. And I looked down and he sent me a text basically ending the engagement. JP said that he felt continuing to get married on this timeline wasn't realistic outside of the experiment. So he just wanted to take it, take it down a notch I do think it's interesting that of all of the engagements that have happened from couples that have not gotten followed, none of them stay together. <laughs> so it's like, no. is Netflix really good at knowing or is the production company really good at knowing which couples have something solid? Or is it the case that it's the pressure of staying together to stay on the show that forces couples to like build some sort of trauma bond together that if you oh, don't absolutely get followed, the latter. disappears. Plus, they also, like, they bill themselves as a love experiment and then they're not sharing us the experiments that aren't working. <laughs> like, No, it's this- totally scientific. You toss the outliers, right? Yeah. You just dump them. They're not part of it. <laughs> I mean, Paul is a scientist and he told me that this the experiment was actually surprisingly sound. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. no, look, the, the <laughs> fact that the the most, and I, and I truly don't really enjoy the show. The, mo, the most interesting moment oh, I love it. is when they all get together for the first time, which proves that love isn't blind. An aspect of love is a physical connection, eye contact and things like that. So that's when you get these crazy moments with Kwame and Micah, where he's like, whoa, he's making this crazy eye contact with Micah. He'll say for the rest of his life that there was no nothing there, but you're like, oh my gosh, she was like, you know, I, you, you know what? And uh, it's just, that's that just goes to show, and that's to me the most interesting part of the show is when they get to actually meet the people they didn't choose and start to have these mental regrets. I think the show would be more interesting if they did a blind vote where they then said, like if Micah, if, if Kwame said, I would take Micah if she'll take me, then if that match happens, then that's a whole different conversation. But in this, in the end, you have these conversations where he's like, so are, are you having any doubts? And you just try to find weakness in these people you didn't choose to see if you could make it work. Oh, yeah, the 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 regret of the road mess. not taken is fundamental to the drama of Love Is Blind. Uh, I, it's still, it's but I went through to a, a real rabbit hole with JP and Ava. Yeah, I still I, don't understand what happened, but clearly, once they were not on the show anymore, it very quickly fell apart. Ava says that she was shocked and humiliated when he said he didn't want to stay engaged via text. They split up. JP later posted the text. He posted all of their texts because I guess Ava was like implying basically that that he had really screwed her over. And he posted the text that he actually like sent to her at the time. And honestly, it it seemed more mutual. Like it seemed like they were both genuinely shaken up by the whole experience and then it ending. And what he actually 
said was, I'm only texting you this because I don't want you to tell your parents or anybody close confusing things. And I also couldn't do it with everyone around, but I do think we should put off the engagement part and date when we are back. I feel so bad, but just going through more than I thought with this situation at the moment. Still love you. I mean that with all of me. I really want to talk slash see you tomorrow if you're down. Doesn't have anything to do with you. This shit kills me. So like, I mean, I will say that is kind of exactly what she said happened. He texted her being like, I don't want to be engaged anymore. (laughs) She responds saying, I appreciate you being honest with me. I know it's very overwhelming. So take all the time you need. What you said is a shock to me. I need some time to process and everything. Thanks for being understanding. He says, of course, I'm really sorry. This wasn't the end we both wanted to this chapter, but I don't look at this as something sad. I'm trying to just process it all without having the second part of the experience. And she said, what do you mean second part of the experience? Yeah, I will say that that to me, this actually sounds like she was being completely honest about what happened, but that she was being diplomatic in her text to him. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, He just, like, breaks up with her, and she's like, oh, I'm shocked to hear this, and I don't really understand, but, like, I'm not gonna, like, freak out at you right now. Right? Like, I don't really see how that disproves anything that she... No, I don't think it disproves anything. I think, well, she then posted on Instagram that, like, JP only wanted fame. She's like, I was looking for love. He was looking for time on Netflix. Um... Their texts just seem like the texts of two people who are, like, shaken up by a really weird experience. She also then says in these texts that, like, her ex-boyfriend is coming over to talk. And then it just seems like they really didn't communicate after. There are a lot of texts that were posted. Ultimately, the last text they exchanged was from April 17th, 2022. And Ava says... Hey, JP, I don't expect you to respond at all, but I just want you to know I am truly sorry for shouting at you that you treated me like trash in public. I'm not proud of it at all because that's not me, and I feel awful for doing that with people around. Please know it because of our conversation was heightened in that moment. I also had a few drinks that night, which got the best of me. I just hope you find it in your heart to forgive me one day. I wish you nothing but the best and truly mean that. And I'm not sure when I'll ever be able to see you again, but I'll continue to keep you and your mom in my nightly prayers. Happy Easter. And then he posted this with a comment. There is something that happened that I am not going to speak on, but there is a reason I haven't spoke spoken with her since that text message. So like, what? I don't know. Yeah, you get, They're both, they, they hate each other, you clearly. You get these audiences yeah. that pick sides and then it kind of for, it kind of smokes them out and forces them to drop receipts. Like, if I felt like I was being mischaracterized, would I drop the receipts? At what point is it at the threshold where you take the high road? Because sometimes you take the high road and it makes you look like the bad guy or bad girl. And I don't know. I don't know what I would do because, um, you know, at the end, all you have is your character. The, the, the text messages sound pretty normal for having gone through this um that's the thing like on both ends to me the texts sound kind of normal i'm always in these situations apt to be like they both have been traumatized by the show and i i'm just gonna say this not to take sides if if i went through this and i got engaged and then the guy texted me when we had just been together in person he texted me to be like now that we're not going to be on tv i don't want to be engaged anymore even if he framed it really nicely, I think months later, I would still be like, this guy was full of shit. 
Yeah, sure. And it, uh, ca- but the calling. Yeah, someone I else get out, why she feels that way. Yeah, her saying he's there for fame is like Chris Harrison saying that his boss was narcissistic. It's like <laughs> you're both on the show. You can't, uh, you can't, uh, you know, sift through who was there for the right or wrong reasons. You both, you both have a headshot now, and you do get that bitterness. That bitterness comes out. But like we've all been in situations where like our friends like telling us about their horrible ex, and then you're like, give me your phone, and you look at the text messages, and you go, okay, there's clearly it's not one villain versus the other you're both trying your best the show shows how tough it is to communicate they can't just see each other so maybe a facetime would have been better um but, I mean, but they literally were just together right before he sent the text with yeah yeah they were no, together it, at the airport and but, uh, but i mean in, in you know break up in person after being on a reality show in the airport i don't know i don't know it sounds messy i know no one knows them yet but like it, it seems like i don't know from the text like he tried to like he texted her saying i want to talk with you before we take off if that's okay and then it seems like i don't know like they boarded and like didn't have that conversation yeah never um, never have a conversation who knows i i i like i i just i get why they both feel aggrieved i guess and i don't I kind of think they're both probably just traumatized by yeah. the show. Things didn't end in an ideal way. Listen, I just way. think it's funny when a woman is like, he dumped me over tax. And the guy's like, I have receipts to show it went down differently. And the receipts are just like him dumping her over text and her being like kind of gracious about it. But clearly she's shocked and it's, it's like not ending mutual. It's like the engagement, but not dumping. If yeah, it's saying like, I really want to date you. I mean, that's I what know. she said. She said he ended the engagement over text. And he's yeah. like, here are the receipts. And the receipts are him being like, we're not engaged anymore. And she's like, I'm shocked and I need to process this. So I'm like, actually, his receipts did, even though they her, she is speaking out of some bitterness, she actually was accurate about what happened <laughs> from my perspective. I don't know. We didn't even get to know them or their story at all. So I can't believe that we're like trying to <laughs> to really diagnose exactly what yeah, happened. Yeah, I guess I guess that's why I'm, I always go to just like clearly. I feel like the show. I blame the show ultimately. Well, we always have to blame these, the show. Yeah, in in these situations, and I would imagine it would be a real mind fuck to be in this like intense bubble and be told you know, your love story is so important, and you need to take this risk, and you go through this whole thing, and then they're just like. Yeah, okay, you don't even have time with this new person to, like, chat. Just, like, go to the airport, get on a plane, you're going home, you're done. They both like, live I, in Seattle. I don't know. Yeah, and the producers for sure tell them don't have these conversations till the film crew shows up, but who wants to, you know, when you're trying to get that those moments it's like the truman show he just wants to they want to break out and have an honest conversation the time crunch though sounds horrible to try to have a conversation like that before you turn your phone on airplane mode sounds horrible but once you say like hey we should talk the other person's like all right let's go and like you don't you know it's it's a mess but we try clearly to re- he shouldn't have done this over text but i i don't know i just sure. think they're both going home to seattle make a coffee this conversation when you're when you're off the plane yeah yeah i i agree this was that could have been handled this text should have been a coffee much better is what i'm saying the text message does give you those receipts not to say these receipts prove anything but it is nice you know it's just wild the turnover that this stuff happens a year ago and what's taking their post-production so long this isn't they've already filmed the next season you know what i mean like what are they doing over there yeah i genuinely don't 
No, I think that movies have been made and last. <laughs> True. Yeah, the Bachelor, the a Bachelorette is going to air in seven weeks, and they haven't even finished the season yet. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it's not, it's not that Netflix has this supreme cinematography they're doing with the show. I don't know. I mean, they, I do, I don't envy it. In some ways, I appreciate the gap because I do think it gives the couples some like a chance to sort of settle before being thrust into the spotlight. But for people like this who are or people who like negotiate are trying to negotiate drama a year after and aren't in those settled relationships from the show, it's like a real disadvantage. And they end up just like having to dredge shit up that probably is like been in the rear view mirror for all of them. Absolutely. For months. So the last couple that got engaged is more speculative because this was not mentioned in the Tadam article or any of the coverage. But Reality Ashley reported that Josh D. and Monica, an elementary school teacher, also got engaged in the pods. And there is some confirmation of this from both sides. Like, Monica posted an Instagram carousel with a caption saying explicitly that she got engaged on the show, showing the engagement ring. She doesn't name the man that she got engaged to. But what she says in the caption is basically that she ended the relationship extremely quickly. She said, during the reveal, reality set in. My heart and my mind were torn. I wasn't sure if I had made the right decision or picked the right person. I wasn't at peace with my decision and ended our engagement shortly after filming. And she kept the ring. So I'm like, dang, I need to go on Love is Blind. (laughs) I love that they get to keep the ring, honestly. jewelry reasons. Yeah, fantastic. Her fiance is speculated to be Josh, I think in large part because of a video shared by TikToker at Zoe Nicole. She posted a video saying that she picks out the Love is Blind rings, and she shared a photo of the men who got engaged on the show, like, in the room to pick out their rings, including JP, Jimmy, and Josh. Josh D, as in Josh of Jackie and Josh, just to be very clear. Yeah. So then, obviously, the assumption that has been made by the Love is Blind fandom is that he is the only unaccounted for man and Monica, the only unaccounted for woman, they must have been engaged to each other. Um, we So we only know about this, what Monica posted, basically. <laughs> That's the only info. Just more and more love triangles that went unexplored. Um, frankly, disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, what was Josh and Monica might have had a healthy relationship. It might have painted Josh as a sweeter guy than the one they showed, which was essentially just kind of a drunk guy who stole, who tried to you know swoop in and steal someone's woman. So maybe it didn't paint. Yeah. Maybe it didn't work with the real the the reality they wanted to share. Although I think it might have also made some of Marshall's hostility toward him make more sense because one of the things that Marshall talked about on the Vile Files yeah. actually, which is more confirmation of this, is that Josh was also involved with Monica. And that he said similar things to Monica as he was saying to Jackie that he like, was like, I'm gonna leave if it's not you and me. Right. And so and he said that to Monica as well. What they ended apparently. up doing was making it seem like Josh was kind of a douche who swooped in on Jackie, but at least he was like singularly devoted to Jackie, right? But in reality, he was in this love triangle, maybe maybe talking out of both sides of his mouth a little bit. And getting it could have engaged, been a whole different apparently. show. Like if yeah, incredible. Also, I always do love to see the, the relationships that fall down as soon as there is a reveal. Like, I want to see that dynamic. Like, that is I kind of the fascination of the that. Irina and Zach moment. Yeah, like, I actually would have loved to see 
love to see at least like one each each season where someone just comes out like stares at their fiance and is like we end here yeah absolutely not and, and the problem <laughs> is that they are not you know they kind of showed with shake a few years ago that any talk about an actual attraction and physical attraction is kind of shamed and it has to be a well, part shake was also a terrible person he was there are two so different things he, the what he was <laughs> yeah. saying was right. terrible but his actual point in the reunion about like attraction matters nick you're with vanessa you're both good looking you know you're with a boy band guy it does matter to an extent it it goes to be proved with like josh when he he doesn't meet jackie in person i don't think until that at that that place where yeah, she was that was with the Marshall. first time they're still together and they seem pretty happy and and he he was very sweet in his sort of video that he made saying oh, I've been portrayed this way I drank too much I felt stupid I can't believe it I regret it he's showing all this regret I want I want them to be happy I want them to overcome these things I, I don't think he's any better or Absolutely. worse than Marshall at all well <laughs> I don't I don't buy it I don't know enough about either of them to say for sure who is better or worse, but there are definitely some opinions that Josh has espoused that I think are harmful and toxic masculinity. Sure. Um, but that doesn't mean that he and Jackie aren't happy. They seem happy. We always wish everyone success in their relationships. And yeah, I want to see the relationships that fall apart because they see each other and they're like, definitely not. And Shake wasn't the only one. I mean, we saw it with Kelly and Kenny yeah. in season one. And you can be more or less of a dick about expressing it. But a lot yeah, of I us have that moment. I, I always say I was in a, a <laughs> I was in a chat room relationship when I was a teenager. And man, that moment where you like meet the person that you've been having hours long late night am discussions with uh in person it, it can be uh it can be quite a <laughs> sobering shift. yeah well you you <laughs> fill in the piece your brain fills in the pieces it doesn't have so if you think they sound like julia roberts you're thinking of julia roberts and, Ex exactly you know. exactly no i mean we i personally love love is blind i think it's a great show i also think it's quite obvious that love is not blind. No, like, it's definitely not. They, it's bullshit. They pretty much it's put a bullshit people premise. that are in the same attraction class, they put them on the show. It's not like someone showing up and it's like someone completely out of the, what, what, they're, what you would expect to see. So for the experiment, it's like, yep. okay. These people are all still people who are cast on reality TV who fall within like a fairly narrow beauty standard. Um, yes. But something that we did notice about the three engaged couples that they didn't follow that just felt worth noting is that like all three of the women who weren't selected to be followed by cameras were Asian. Mm. Yeah. It's just like, it felt notable. Yeah. It was just a very strong correlation that seemed unlikely to be totally random, but um, who knows? Who knows? But let's get into some 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 fucked up stuff that's allegedly been happening with Love is Blind. We saved this horrible story for last. Insider recently published an article about Love is Blind filming conditions and a lawsuit uh, that has been filed by several contestants over the conditions um, of filming. The article was published on April 18th, and they spoke to a handful of contestants on the record from seasons one and two, including Danielle and Nick from season two, 
who got engaged on the show and married and then ultimately got divorced. They also spoke to an anonymous source from season two who, like, very much seems from context clues to be Shayna. And the details are pretty disturbing in these allegations. Cast members are reporting really squalid living conditions that on season one they tried to make all of the women sleep in one trailer and all the men in another, and it was not heated, it was cramped, there were cockroaches, and after a number of complaints, they moved the cast to hotel rooms. Um, They also talked about, you know, a lack of food on set and water that the plumbing on set didn't actually work, and so to get water, they had to request it from producers, and it would often be brought with alcohol <laughs> as well. Just these, like, really blatant attempts to ply contestants with alcohol. Uh, and withhold food and water. Yeah. Like, that was truly despicable yeah, to Nick read. Thompson said he lost 15 pounds. I interviewed Nick and Jeremy on my podcast on Friday, and they shared some crazy stuff about how quickly you can get... I mean, we talk about being hangry. This is a, to the next level. And if you really want to see how general audience doesn't relate, the comment section is brutal. Oh, he could have gotten water out of the faucet. What people need to realize, these overhead shots of these pods, they're in some giant studio. This is like an Ikea show right. they're in. This is not like they're they're not given the basic things they need to make good decisions with their brain. And the damage there is just is is way more long term because the audience is watching it with a wrecking ball that's demolishing them. And maybe we're guilty of it, too, the way we talk about some of these things. We have to remember that. Oh, but so and so said it out of their mouth. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show genetically we're all similar. And when our brain doesn't have the nutrients it needs, we're not going to think clearly. It's the old Snickers commercial, right? And and for them to exploit them, it's brave. They're going up against big, big production companies with powerful lawyers. So it's very brave for them to do this. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. And I think that it is, this is one of those um, examples of like sunlight is the best disinfectant. Like if we don't, if we as consumers of these shows are not aware of these kind of horrible labor conditions and the extent to which these cast members are being exploited, like I think, you know, we expect that there is a certain level of manipulation. I think it is well known that these contracts tend to give production the rights to portray people in whatever way they want to. We know that, you know, they are socially isolated on most reality shows, um, that they are given easy access to alcohol. But this, like, goes beyond, I think, what even my, like, dark assumptions are of of most shows. Like, on, on The Bachelor, for example, we know that there is a running list that contestants can add to for groceries and that groceries are are obtained for them fairly frequently. While they are plied also with alcohol, there is now a certain limit on the number of drinks that they can have in a certain time period. Um, 
I've never heard any complaints about like lack of running water when they're in the mansion, for example. Yeah, like just this sleep, is sleep deprivation is the only tactic I know of bachelor. Yeah. They'll they'll yes. turn the music and on. Sleep deprivation. And, and sleep deprivation. Is, yeah, That's they definitely all do sleep deprivation. I mean the Love is Blind article, the insider piece also claimed that they were working like 20 hour work days, which again, having covered reality TV for years, I make like is not surprising to me but it's depressing so this is where they're this is where they might get him because the lawsuit's still going so jeremy mm -hmm. was only on in the pods he didn't have a relationship immediately and he was also on season two two right so immediately he uh kinetic the production company for love is blind slams back at him we won't speculate on why he's doing this lawsuit considering he didn't make it far okay so he's in this we see this um on bachelor when they have the women tell all where like someone will speak that left night one and everyone's like well no one cares what you have to say you were gone on night one as if they not a not a breathing human but jeremy and this is i don't know if he should have shared this but on the podcast he spilled that it might come down to a tax issue so they were paid a thousand dollars a week and they were freelance employees or freelance which means they're not employees but he they he says that there's proof that the production company filed w-2s for them so it might come down to even though all, there's all these other heinous things that went down where they get them is that they were filing them as employees, but not treating them as employees. And this is the freelance culture we live in where Uber drivers are exploited. We're all exploited. I've been in a union for 15 years with Screen Actors Guild. It's nice to have a lawyer there to fight for you. And none of them have that advocacy. Yeah, we are yeah. big fans of unions over here. It also, before we get into more of these specific claims, it is worth, we need to note that Kinetic has denied all of the claims that Jeremy and Nick made um, in a statement to Insider. So just obviously keep that in mind. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting maybe because of the format of the show that they need to be employees in some capacity. Bachelor contestants aren't paid at all, like, and aren't treated even as freelancers, I don't believe. Correct. No. And... So I'm very curious about, like, the legal ins and outs of, like, why you would or would not need to categorize a bachelor, a reality show contestant in a certain way, pay them or not pay them. Um, it seems like there are a lot of uh, a lot of approaches that these shows use to to make the most of what they can get out of people during filming. Um, but it's unclear to me, like, what the correct standard. I mean... Maybe because they aren't really in a competition. They're just doing a, more of a sort of docu-style series where they're on set for a while, having their lives followed without being in any sort of explicit competition. Like, it, it's it's not clear to me. Um, but yeah, even the people who don't get much airtime on the show, they're there for two weeks, like experiencing these conditions. That's a lot it's not of time. like being on it's not even like being on The Bachelor for one night. You've experienced just as much as someone who make who gets engaged of of being on set at the pods. Like you've all experienced the same thing. So the idea that like he wouldn't know 
he spent just as much time on this set as anyone else. And the dynamics, it's just all over the place. And we were trained, I think, as Americans to side with the employer. It's so rotten. It's so rotten that we're trained to side with the Am like Amazon over the people that want to unionize Starbucks over the Starbucks that want the employees. It's, it's just so sad. The only person that has gotten footage to prove the edit wrong was Zach Koitowski, who is a lawyer. And he knew that being accused of being a plagiarist would be probably bad for his career. And they provided him with the footage to prove his case there. But it's like if that if, if you have to be a lawyer to get any sort of um, evidence from them, it's um, yeah, it's not it's it's exploitative. Yeah, it sounds like the the contract is also described as pretty draconian. There's a 50K fine if contestants leave the show before the end of the process and without producer approval. So imagine being denied approval to leave the show before the wedding or before the honeymoon. And then you're sitting up on stage and the show's mouthpiece is saying, well, why did you stay if you weren't right. excited about the relationship? You know, there's financial ruin potentially. Certainly. It's certainly threw into stark relief. Um, you know, Irina saying that she was essentially told to stay, even though she wanted to end her relationship with Zach. Like there is this, yeah, this massive financial penalty that they can hold over people's heads. I, that seems absolutely deranged to me. And it also, something else that was brought up in this report is the legitimacy of kind of their psych evals and whether they are even doing anything real. Danielle, who was married to Nick Thompson from season two, reflected back and said that she believes that she shouldn't have passed the psych evaluation at all and that she thought that the disclosures that she made to the psychologist um, were confidential, as you would expect them to be if you are a patient. Um, and she said that ultimately the things that she shared were drawn upon by production and were exploited to the point where she was disclosing to producers that she was having suicidal ideations and was still implored to stay on the show, even though she said, I am having suicidal thoughts. I have a history of this. I do not feel like I should be here. And she was still convinced to stay. She and Nick both spoke about an incident during the Mexico period of filming in which last minute she was told that she couldn't attend that like first welcome party where all of the couples meet each other at the resort because production thought she might have COVID. But Nick was still allowed to attend and they had obviously been together constantly. So like that doesn't really make sense. According to the article, quote, left alone in the hotel room, Rule grew more and more anxious, ruminating on how her lack of attendance would be portrayed on the show and why her fiancé was allowed to attend. She also felt distressed after telling Thompson earlier that day about a traumatic event from her past. She had a panic attack hiding in the closet to ensure it wouldn't be filmed because she believed there were hidden cameras in the room. When Thompson returned and realized what had happened, he took off his mic, and threw it at the producers, announcing that they were done with the show and sick of being exploited. 
Rule told producers she didn't feel mentally stable enough to keep filming. I kept telling them, I don't trust myself, she said. I've tried committing suicide before. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I don't think I continue in this. But producers persuaded them to stay, assuring them they would be portrayed sympathetically. Love is Blind ultimately aired a scene suggesting Rule had a panic attack because she was upset about Thompson speaking to another woman at the cast party. Truly awful. How dismissive. Truly, truly awful. Yeah. Um, and, and just if these allegations are true, then that indicates just a real basic lack of care for the health and safety of the people that they are making a shit ton of money on the backs of. Yeah. Yeah, six million viewers. They had six times the audience of Bachelor for their finale. And yeah, who, why would you trust the therapists they provide, the therapists uh, on their payroll? Uh, it's just like human resources for a company is there to protect the company. Right. Uh, they need. They all need, and, and apparently the newer season does have better access to mental health, which only is going to come from stories like this getting um, getting exposed. That's the thing. Yeah. I like, mean, why I do we think didn't that- the article say that they were not provided with therapy. I mean, they were, they were, they were provided with someone to do their psyche valves, but I don't think they were given access to a therapist. No, there is not like the bachelor, seasons. right. The bachelor does have a therapist on call. You can argue whether or not, you know, you would find that person to be trustworthy, but uh, there have been plenty of bachelor alums who've said that that therapist was like a real lifeline for them. And that all of those disclosures remained completely confidential. It sounds like there was not even that for the Love is Blind contestants. Nick also claimed that when he asked the show to help provide him and Danielle some support after they had come off the show, were married and were struggling, that also was not given to them. So it just, it, you know, again, if these allegations are are true, then that is just a real failure on every level, really at every step. And I, I agree with you, Dave, that the only way that these labor conditions are going to get better is if they are reported on and it is if they are spoken about publicly. Yeah, and the biggest response from people that don't quite get it is, well, they signed up for this and you hear it nonstop. And it's like, look, we do live in a world where these contestants, Bachelor, Love is Blind, they don't, they anyone who's got like their career completely in order probably doesn't go on these shows. There's a lot of despair amongst millennials and Gen Z and the this their wealth gap's crazy. And this is the this is the world that we live in where these are opportunities to build your brand, make a name for yourself, and do all these things. That's what they're being sold. Nick Thompson said that he, they were being sold on the idea that they're gonna get huge followings. Now that we know that's kind of like going away. What what's the show going to do to sell quality people on wanting to to bear their souls on the on the show? You know, yeah, like there needs to be a recognition that <laughs> just because you can find people, I mean, it's Squid Games. Like, I'm sorry, but like just because you can find yeah. people who are either desperate enough or you know don't fully understand what the potential ramifications might be of taking that particular path um, to a career. Just because you can find those people in this society where everyone, like most people, have been left scrambling to put together a middle-class lifestyle, like, that doesn't mean that it's okay once they sign up to just abuse them and exploit them. Like, and, it's... Yeah, and Nick and Danielle have, if if their story's wrong, if if they're completely wrong here... Kinetic has all the, they've got all the footage. 
they've got all mm-hmm. the opportunity to defend themselves. They could post it and and leak it to a press yesterday, and they haven't done that, and that's telling. Yeah, yeah, it's a good a good point, and it's just clear that there needs to be a stronger like unionization or just like labor. There needs to be more more structures in place to allow people who go on reality television um, to yeah. to access, yeah, collective bargaining and collective protections because this is a huge industry. It makes a ton of money for the people at the top. And there are so many people now who are kind of going through these these reality TV shows and then are sort of like tossed out the other end. And yeah. what, so what Jeremy started, I want to shout it out. He started the You Can Foundation, yes. Unscripted Cast Advocacy Network. It's interesting um, to try to pool some money together. Will it have much of an effect on future cast members? They'll always be able to find people. And that's the problem with, with that's why SAG was created. They were always going to be able to find someone who would work for free to star in a movie. Anytime there's something people want, you'll have kitchen staff getting exploited. You'll, it's every industry where exploitation can happen it will happen so short of a union i don't know but but if you if they can if if there's enough alumni that say hey uh everyone should be paid more than just a base thousand dollars that comes out to seven dollars an hour everyone should be paid a base amount you know the the crew is most likely union the uh people that are on the show should also be given those same um you know i feel like bernie sanders here 100 percent 20 bucks an hour we agree we are we are proud proud members of the writers guild east (laughs) so you know shout out um yeah i think especially at this moment in american history to to have this like romanticized idea of like at will employment and like capitalism and how it's going to find the optimal arrangement for every worker is ludicrous because there was this big crisis where businesses couldn't find workers at the wages they wanted. And instead of raising wages and making conditions better, which we were always told was workers power in the marketplace, like, Oh, if if your labor is scarce enough, they'll have to make conditions better. Instead, you saw a bunch of businesses like throwing a fit and being like, work for us, work for us right now. How dare you? No one wants to work anymore. And like trying to enact legislation <laughs> to like protect their own right to low wage work. Like there's there's no respect for workers' rights without unions, without collective bargaining, without protection legal and otherwise for workers. It's not going to come about from everyone just individually, you know, choosing a really beneficial working situation for them. That's not how the power dynamics of that relationship go. You can, like you said, you can always find someone to work for free or for almost nothing. That doesn't mean that it's acceptable or humane. And it's infuriating. Yeah, your Squid Games analogies, that's perfect. I mean, in The Bachelor, it's even farther behind than Netflix because they're not paying, you know, only the lead gets paid. And that money goes away quick when you take the taxes out. It really does. Um, gone are the days where they can just expect to get Tyler Cameron Instagram followers afterwards. And uh, yeah, we're, we're not talking about striking it rich either. We're talking about 20 bucks an hour. Um, you know, right. with, with unions, like if you're on set on a movie, I just loved seeing that when the six hours are up, you either get broken for lunch or they pay you penalties and they they can really rack up and that is there to protect us to have basic rights 
while it'd be treated as humans while you're on a show. I, I did a game show last year. I was just, I couldn't, my buddy sucked me into this game show and I'm looking at the guy and I'm like, this boom, this sound guy's making money and I'm not. Like, I'm just sitting here like a sucker, you know, Hunger Games style, trying to win a couple bucks here. Like, whoa, what is this world we're in? And how many yeah. people are defending of the employers because that's the way we're trained to not have salary negotiations. Like it's very telling right. that like the best TikToks out there are just random people on the street asking others how much money they're making because it's all this taboo, these taboo conversations that don't need to be. I'm glad I'm glad they're discussing the fact that yeah, a thousand bucks a week isn't enough for what they have to be put for what they are put up with. It's just not. And, and I think that those of us who like to consume reality TV should be just like the biggest advocates for for better protections and better working conditions. You know, we want this these shows to continue to be made. We want to enjoy them. We want to laugh at them. We want to cry with them. We want to like see these love stories. We also should want the people who are creating that content for us with their lives and their likenesses to be treated like human beings, to be compensated, to be given basic care, food, water, water, sunlight, like more than three hours is, of sleep a night. Yeah. <laughs> sleep. Like this is, this is not so much to ask. And I refuse to believe that there is no way to create a great show without just like doing heinous exploitation constantly. Yeah. And yeah. having the conversation and calling it out without fear of being sued. Uh, you know, Blake Horstman had to defend himself. I don't know what side you guys fall on, but he for sure was mischaracterized and he spent $175,000 defending himself. Probably worth it because it, his career took off. Uh, but um, who knows what if he didn't do what he did, who, he, he might have just been collateral damage to a juicy edit. And um you know, but not everyone's got the money or resources to speak up. A lot of people, right. and this is where the therapy is so passive. They're waiting for McKenna to come to them to talk about her mental health issues. They're not finding the people that are crying out for help. You know, everyone's like concerned for Shane on Love is Blind. Who knows what trauma he has from his experience. Uh, but it's almost, it's so, it's too reactive and, and they're flying way too close to the sun. It could, it could end horribly for them yeah. if they don't really yes. guide these contestants post-show. I think it's real. I, I, I mean, a lot of the allegations and the sources are from the first two seasons of Love is Blind. It's not clear if that's just because they are more removed. They've had more time to process. They know each other. And so they're the ones networking or if there have already been some sort of improvements put Changes. in place. But I will say like the season one and two contestants seems like they really went through it. I mean, Amber of Amber and Barnett yeah. season one has said on Instagram recently that she and Barnett are together in spite of the show and that they told the show to stay away from them. Um, we saw in season two, like none of those couples seem set up to last. It seemed like there were, there was just a huge amount of instability and trauma <laughs> like among the whole cast. And like, even when you see, like Shane on Perfect Match, you know, throughout his his public journey, you just, you see someone who is, n you know, not in a good state to be thrown into that kind of fame, just being continually put back on that stage and characterized poorly and struggling to kind of cope with it. And it does seem like those first two casts, like at minimum, went through absolute like emotional hell. Hell. And it's very, it's, it's, you see the consequences and it's not, it's not nice. Like I would rather see people 
who seem like they have the tools to navigate the shows that they're on and they're happy with with the careers that they have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like nothing is worth uh, the human cost of to this extent, the extent that's being reported. Um, and I really, really hope that Kinetic is will take this opportunity to take a good hard look at their at the conditions that they are offering these contestants and and treat them better. Although we should and say again, make, they do deny uh, all of it. Yes, they do deny it. Terms. They do deny it. These yes. allegations, if they are true, I hope that Kinetic is reflecting. And um, we will definitely continue to talk about this story as it develops. Dave, thank you so much for talking through all of this. It's been a range today. Um, it's a treat to have you. And can you tell our listeners where they can find you and all of your work because you are a machine oh. truly <laughs> well thank you so much for having me i do appreciate it um my podcast i launched in the fall called bachelor rush hour has daily afternoon content i try to make it 30 minutes or less for the rush hour drive home i compile all of the bachelor love is blind vanderpump rules american idol i'm covering i cover all that news in one place and um uh that's anywhere you listen to podcasts Amazing. You really do it all. Thank you so much for joining us for this semi-crossover Bachelor Love is Blind news and gossip episode. We'll have to do it again soon. Please, anytime. Thanks. And on that note, that's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Talon Stradley. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like the show, please follow us, rate us five stars, leave a review, and of course, tell all your friends about our show. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at clareandemmapod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at love to see it pod and Instagram at clareandemmapod. And you can find our newsletter, Rich Text, on Substack at clarenemma.substack.com. You can also find me on social media at Emma Lady Rose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. We'll be back next week with our next rom-com rewatch spring break edition. Yes, it's finally happening. Clueless. Stitcher. <laughs> 